All right, check, check, one, two. All right, all right, check. Hear me all right? Good, good. Well, hey, welcome to uh, Dirt Bike Church. My name's Chuck Lee Master with Team Faith. Pleasure to be here with you. It's been a busy day here at the racetrack with, uh, it seems like once you get started late, everything just kind of piles up on top of each other. But um, we'll go ahead and get going. And people can just filter in as they as they make it here. Lord, thanks so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to just come to a racetrack and uh, to put you first in our lives, which is what we want to do right now. I pray that you just calm us down and help us to focus on what you've put in front of me. Help me to be the, the proper spokesperson for you and what you've put on my heart. Love you, Lord. Amen. All right, so... Um, <laughs> Great things do not come easy. Don't have to tell that to anybody here. Uh, great things do not come easy, but you know how great things do come by? They come by small things. Great things happen in small little segments. And if you think about it, every single one, every single racer here has analyzed and thought about this, and a mathematical formula is if I can go quarter of a second faster in a corner, if I can go a quarter of a second faster in every single corner, that is going to separate me from the rest of the pack. Matter of fact, if you do the math, if you figure that the, the, the track has a thousand corners on it, the margin of victory for Stu Baylor last week was 25 thousandths of a second per corner. That's how he managed to beat Caleb Russell. It's, it's the, the small things add up to great things. And so it, that, that's all well and good. But I like what a few people said here. Napoleon Hill was a famous author back in the uh, 1930s. Actually, in 1937, he wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. It was a bestseller. He said, if you cannot do great things, do small things in a great way. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Marianne Evans, who uh, actually went by the pen name of George Eliot, she said, great things are not done by impulse, but a series of small things brought together. Kind of what I was getting at. D.L. Moody famous evangelist in the 1800s. Here's what he said. He said, There are many of us willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us who are willing to do the little things. D.L. Moody was born in 1837. At 17 years old, he was working in his uncle's shoe store and came to faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Came to salvation in Jesus Christ at 17 years old. Edward Kimball recalls about D.L. Moody in a memoir that he wrote. And here's what Edward Kimball said about D.L. Moody. He says, The first meeting I ever saw him at was a little old shanty that had been abandoned by a saloon keeper. Mr. Moody got the place to hold meetings at night. I went in there a little late, and the first thing I saw was a man standing with a few candles around him holding up a little boy and trying to read to him the story of the prodigal son and a great many words he could not read out loud and had to skip. I thought, if the Lord can ever use such an instrument of, as that for His honor and glory, it will astonish me. As a result of his tireless labor, within a year, average attendance at the D.L. Moody School was up to 650 people, while 60 volunteers from various churches served as teachers. It became so well known that the just-elected President Lincoln visited and spoke at a Sunday school meeting on November 25, 1860. And D.L. Moody said, There are many of us willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us who are willing to do the little things. As you know, D.L. Moody went on. He founded the Moody Bible Institute, Bible, Moody Church, Moody Publishers. He preached throughout the Civil War, impacted the nation, continues to impact the nation today. And I love that quote by him, because it really is about the little things. 
We're continuing tonight. We're going to continue our journey through the ages and through the pages. Walking through the Bible in 13 different messages as we meet throughout the GNCC series. If you miss any of these messages and want to catch up, I'm trying to be diligent to load them up on SoundCloud or iTunes. You can go back and catch up on the ones that you missed. But tonight will be the second part of that. Going through 66 different books, 40 different authors, over 1,500 years in the making for what we call the Bible. And tonight... We're getting to Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham. And you've got to wonder, what in the world does the promise that God made to Abraham, what does that have to do with great things and little things? How does that all tie in? And I'll just, I'll just put it out there up front for you. Because when you understand, when you understand the story of God, you understand that He is up to great things. He's doing great things. And you and I get to be a part of that greater story. But it's not by doing great things, it's by us being faithful in the small things. And nobody sitting here or standing here, including myself, has been faithful in the small things all the time. The only person that ever did that was Jesus. But as we come to the story of Abraham tonight, we find out that Abraham himself, the famous Abraham, was not faithful in the small things all of the time. But Abraham, although he didn't do it perfectly, he learned. And you and I, we'll learn too. You ain't dead, God ain't done. Alright, so we're going to dig into it. Last week... Last week we started out in Genesis, we started with creation, how God created the world and everything that's in it, came to the pinnacle of His creation, you and me, mankind, gave dominion, but the fall, sin, man made the decision that I'm going to be my own God, I'm going to do things my own way, sin entered the world, death by sin, the curse of sin, but even then, God had the story of redemption that He started in Genesis chapter 3, He says to Satan, He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, He will bruise your head you will bruise his heel. And we know that that came true in the person of Jesus Christ because Jesus, God's own son, came to this earth, lived that perfect life, hung on a cross, his heel was bruised, he crushed Satan's head because he defeated death when he rose on the third day. But all of that, the fall and the redemption, when you read through the Bible, any part of the Bible, you have to remember that the fall and the redemption, because that's the story of God, how he loved us so much that he created us to have relationship, we messed it up, and God says, I know you messed it up, but I'm working to bring you back to myself. So now, tonight, uh, we're going to come to the story of Abraham. Last week, we left off with the flood. The earth got so wicked, God just washed it clean. We started over. The next thing you read about is the Tower of Babel. Right, you come to the Tower of Babel, mankind is repopulating the earth. And they say, man, we don't want that flood thing to ever happen again. Never mind. Never mind that God's put that rainbow up in the sky that reminds us that He promised that we're not, He's not going to do that again. We're going to build this tower. We're going to send to heaven. We're going to be like God. And God says, no, I don't think so. And he, he, he sends the languages down. You remember this story, how he confuses the languages, which is actually pretty awesome because what happened was they quit building the Tower of Babel, but they also scattered. If you spoke Spanish, you went over here because with other people that spoke Spanish, if you spoke English, you're over here. Or whatever the languages were at that time. Pretty awesome because what was God's first instruction to mankind way back in Genesis chapter 1? He says, multiply and fill the earth. can't fill the earth if you're all right here. I said, go here. <laughs> so God's purposes still prevail. Even when, man, even when mankind is rebelling against God, God's purposes are still prevailing. Now, you come to Genesis chapter, chapter 11. And you read about, well, these guys were born, and they lived so long, and they had kids, and then they died, and this guy was born, and he had... 
And if you're like me, I like to get up in the morning and drink my coffee and have some quiet time, read the Bible. Man, I come to places like Genesis chapter 11, and it's just kind of a head nod, like, oh, man, I can't stay awake for it, you know, because it's, it's boring. But what's really cool is you come to Genesis chapter 11, verse 26. It says, when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. You just kind of read through that. But if you'll do the math, if you'll take all those, the, the person that lived so long, then he had this son, then he lived this long, you do all the math, you find out that when Abram was born, 352 years after the flood. So now all of a sudden, we've assigned context to when we're talking. 352 years after the flood, Abram is born. We start out in Genesis chapter 12. We find out uh, not too long that Abram is 75 years old when Genesis chapter 12 starts. So we're just barely over 400 years after the flood when this story comes along. Now the Lord said to Abram, who will later be called Abraham, but in the interest of trying to stay accurate, I'm going to try and call him Abram all night tonight until God changes his name to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And this, I always like to boil it down. If you've been to, if you've been to Dirt Bike Church more than once, you've probably heard me say the Abrahamic covenant. Lots of people, lots of land, huge blessing. Because that's what God has promised. That Abraham, I'm going to do a great thing in the earth. I'm going to use you to do it. Through you, you're going to have a, a, a family that's going to grow to a nation. Lots of people. You're going to have your own land. Lots of land. Through you, the whole world is going to be blessed. And we know that Jesus was the descendant of Abraham. And now, indeed, the whole world is blessed. That's why the Abrahamic covenant is so central to everything that you read in the Bible. Because this is what God is going to be driving at. So lots of people, lots of land. The whole world gets blessed. I'm doing a great thing. And you know what? We all want to be part of great things. So Abram leaves his homeland. He obeys God. They set out. They... Abram, his wife, his servants, his cattle, his sheep, his oxen, all of this, all of Abram, they set out. They go to the land of Canaan. They go on to Shechem, to the Oak of Moray. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there. Builds an altar and he prays to God. Man, thank you, God. This is awesome. I'll build you an altar right here. I'm excited about this. He goes on to Bethel. He builds an altar there. He's worshiping the Lord. He's like, man, things are good. God is great. He's doing great things. He's using me. Hallelujah, man. Isn't it great to be a Christian? It's like, man, if God is for us, who can be against us? Y'all just need a little bit of Jesus in your life. We get excited about it. But then what happens? Adversity happens. And things don't work out quite the way that we think they're going to work out. Matter of fact, when things don't work out quite the way we think that they're going to work out, we look at it and say, God, you're this all-powerful God. You've got all these grand promises you could fix this. Why don't you fix this? And here's where we're at in the story of Abram. He's all excited. He's been building the altars to the Lord. He's praising God. Chapter 13 says, Now there was a famine in the land. There's no rain in the land. Things are drying up. The cattle are going thirsty. Abram's going... Bad things are happening to good people. This isn't quite what we signed up for, God. You said you were going to do some great things. Like, I was going to get all this land, but right now, starving. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now let me ask you this. 
Where did God tell Abram to go? You have to think back to your high school geography lesson. You remember the continent of Africa? Africa's right here. Egypt's at the very top of Africa. If you go north of there, you get to the Middle East. we got Iran, Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Israel. Up here. Egypt, down here. God said, Abram, I want you to go up here. I'm giving you all this right here. Abram says, man, God, bad things are happening to good people. Where are you? You ain't answering prayer. I'm going to go. I'm going to go down here. Is it a sin to go to Egypt? I'll actually answer that for you because two generations later, after Abram's grandson, Jacob, is actually told to go to Egypt. So it's not a sin to go to Egypt. But what the problem is, is if God told you to go here, and you go here, there's a problem. Just ask Jonah. So Abram, he's like, he's going to go down here. He heads for Egypt. He says, God, basically, if you ain't going to fix this, I'm going to step in and I'll fix it. There's a famine. Aren't you paying attention, God? I got all these sheep. I got these cows. I got these goats. I got shepherds, servants. We need food. All right, I ain't hearing back from you. I'll just go to Egypt. I'll take care of this myself, God. Thanks a lot. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, he said, I know you are a beautiful woman in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me. But they'll let you live. Which begs the question, well, how hot was she? If you're a cynic like me, though, what did I say where this story starts out? Abram's how old? He's 75. And we read later on that Sarai is 10 years younger than Abram. So that makes her 65. Now hold on a second. I'm not really seeing it here. What timeline did I say we were? At the, at the beginning of this story, we're less than 400 years from the, from the flood. With the genetic code, the DNA, is closer to the origin of creation, closer to the very beginning, the original design of what God decided to build and make in us, what He created, we're so much closer to that than we are now. How old were people living before the flood? Just four hundred, just 352 years before, Noah, before Abram was born, people were living to be over 900 years old. We read later on that Abram lives to be 175 years old. We know that Sarah or Sarai at this point in the story, she lived to be 127 years old. So at 68 years old, she's middle-aged. And with all that good genetics going on, Abram's aware, like, hey, man, hey, woman, you're a good-looking girl. They'll skin me for you. Just tell them you're my sister. And while I'm on it, this is a complete, complete rabbit trail here, okay? But when you're, talking, when you're talking about science, when you're talking about genetics, origin of design, and, and original design is what I meant to say, and, and we're talking about these long lives, you know, it seems like in textbooks, in science textbooks, my kid's in seventh grade, and so I've read some of the science stuff that's out there, it seems like everything is, is taken for granted that evolution happened. But any example that's given for evolution is actually adaptation. Adaptation is always used to prove evolution. The bunnies, the, 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 the rabbits at a certain elevation are white because there's snow up here. And so in order to survive, they become white. But the rabbits down here are gray because there's, there's woodlands down here and they need to survive, so they're gray. So therefore, evolution must have happened. There's not a Christian scientist out there that would deny adaptation. The species adapted to their environment just like God had designed not a single Christian out there would ever argue with that. But they didn't evolve. The bunnies didn't turn into frogs that turned into 
apes that turned into people. That's evolution, and there's no evidence for that at all. There's plenty of evidence for adaptation. Nobody's going to deny that. Matter of fact, I think it's beautiful how God created us and installed in the human being the DNA code and in the animals that he created the code to adapt and to live within the beautiful world that he created. So now we're back on track, okay? That was free. <laughs> we're back on track with Abram. He's like, man, the, t- it, the going's getting tough and the tough, go to Egypt. By the way, tell them that you're my sister. When the princes of Egypt saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh liked her. Matter of fact, he gave Abram a bunch of gifts, treated him really nice. He was courting Abram's wife. Matter of fact, he took Abram's wife as his own. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you've done to me? You've lied to me. Your God is afflicting me. Now here's your wife. Take her and go. Get out of here. Isn't this one of the most bizarre stories you've ever heard? I mean, if you grew up in, in church like I did, we, we tend to whitewash the Old Testament. We spend a lot of time in the New Testament. And you come to Hebrews chapter 11, which is famously called the, 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 the Hall of Faith. And you read about Abraham, and here's what you read. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promises, in a foreign land living in tents. And it sounds, it sounds so easy. <laughs> but out of the gate, man, he really messed up. Anybody here ever really messed up? Tell you what, I'm the first one to raise my hand. You know, trusted, trusted God with my life, accepted Jesus as my Savior. You get going along all excited about it, but then adversity and bad things happen to good people and God doesn't answer prayer the way that you think He should. And I've been... I've been you know, the finances aren't working out. The marriage isn't working out. Singleness isn't working out. All these things are tough. And I thought, if God was for us, then who could be against us? But God, if you're not going to step into this situation, I'll have to handle it on my own. And for my finances, these things that I need, maybe it's not that I need, but I really, really want, so it is a need. So I'm going to go into debt. I'm going to work this out on my own. I'll go deeply into debt, not be able to afford my groceries. But hey, I got it covered, God. My marriage, well, this is, when you start working it out on your own power, this is where affairs come from. Singleness, God says purity matters. Isn't that an antiquated idea? I mean, nobody does it. God asks us the impossible, and then he doesn't even come through for us. I think I'll just handle this on my own, God. (laughs) Egypt, here I come. Oh, and by the way, tell them you're my sister. In other words, protect my own hide. That's going to be the most important thing for me. I'm going to cover my own heart. You know what? When you walk away from God, you know who becomes number one in your life? Big number one. Me. I'll be the number one. I'll be the most important thing in my life. And I'll manipulate. I'll lie, cheat, and steal to make me the number one. And God says, you know what? That's not the way that I sent you. When you're in that situation, you can do one of two things. You can either fight God. How miserable do you think Abram was in that moment when he says, hey, we're going to Egypt and tell him you're my wife and then Pharaoh gets eyes on Sarah? How miserable do you think Abram was to see the Pharaoh putting his hands all over his wife? How miserable have I been when I've walked away from God and said, all right, I'll handle it. Do things my own way and then just get that sickening knot in your stomach. You can either do that, you can keep going the way that you're going, or you can make a course correction. Paul, 
the Apostle Paul, when he wrote his second letter to Timothy, the last letter that he wrote, he said, he said to Timothy, he, he was encouraging him, and he says to Timothy, if we have died with him, Jesus, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. In other words, you can fight God, and he'll say, have it your way. Paul goes on, he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Now wait a second. I thought I thought that if we denied him, that he would deny us. What's this whole faithful thing? If we're faithless, he'll be faithful. God will always be faithful because he is God. God will be faithful to do what he said that he would do. We have the promise today of salvation. We can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. We have the promise that he is working things for our good, even when it doesn't feel good. We know that He is working. That's a promise that He's given us. We have the promise that Jesus is coming again. And we know that we can bank on these promises. You know why? Because God's already done what He said He would do. If we are faithless, He is faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. The Abrahamic covenant that we're talking about, lots of people, lots of land, the whole world's going to be blessed, that is central to everything else in the Bible. Abraham messes it up right off the bat. He's there in Egypt. God says, get out of Egypt. Go back to the land that's having a famine. He says, I made a promise to you, and I'm going to use you to accomplish it, even though you've messed up. And that's what Abraham does. He goes back. He leaves Egypt. He goes back to the land of promise, the land of famine, but he goes back, and he's faithful to do the little things that God tells him to do. Chapter 15, God renews the covenant with Abram. Abram's having he's having some doubts. He's like, God, you told me I'd be a father of a great nation with lots of people, but I don't even have a son. I don't have a child. All I've got is this servant. And when I die, my servant is going to get all of my worldly possessions. Maybe that's what you meant when you talked about me being the father of a great nation. And God says, no, Abram. Matter of fact, go outside of your tent and look up in the stars. Count them if you can. Because that's how numerous your descendants are going to be. And God renews that covenant with with Abram. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's a central verse for us tonight. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. You see, Abram wasn't righteous because he did the right things. We just saw that Abram didn't do the right things. Abram was counted righteous because he believed God. And that's why... That's why the story of God, through the ages and through the pages, that's why it is such a beautiful story. Because we see all the way back at the very beginning, salvation comes by believing God, not by doing for God. Abram, when he did, he messed it up, but he believed God. And that's how, that's how he was a part of the promise. That's how you and I get to be a part of the promises, by believing it's by believing uh, that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. It's not because it's not because we are any good at, at doing anything for God. It's not because we're good at fulfilling promises for God because we're awful at it. But righteousness comes to us because we believe God and we believe that Jesus was God's own Son, came to this earth, lived that perfect life, died in our place, buried and rose again on the third day. It's that simple. It's that belief that started all the way back in Genesis. And so what happens next, some time passes, there are no kids. Abram, man, he is so much like... When, when Abram, or later called Abraham, when, when you read about him in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith, you're like, man, this guy, he is just... could never be like that. But when you read his story, it's like, oh man, I am just like that. 
Because now twice, God has made a covenant with Abram. Not even saying that Abram, in order to fulfill this covenant, you have to do this, X, Y, and Z. No, I'm just going to do it, and I'm using you to do it. But some time passes. Abram doesn't hear anything from God. Nothing happens. He and his wife still don't have a kid. Doubts creep in. That uncertainty creeps in. And Sarai, his, his wife, suggests, well, maybe... Maybe my, my servant can be your surrogate. Maybe you can have a baby with my, my servant and that will be how God is going to complete His promise to you. <laughs> I think we got part two of the mountain by grace going. Very cool. Sarah suggests, she says, maybe my servant can be your surrogate. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her, her husband, as a wife. He went into her and she conceived. But we know that that was not the child of promise. That was just Abram doing it his way yet again. And there are consequences for that. There are always consequences. When we decide that we're going to do for God our way, there are always consequences. As you can imagine, Sarah and Hagar did not get along too well after that. I don't know if it's just me, but when I talk about Hagar the Egyptian, I always think of Hagar the Horrible. You guys remember that that comic strip? I'm like, oh man, Abram had this beautiful wife that he's like, hey, tell her you're my sister. And then Hagar, that poor guy. They're at odds with each other. Hagar starts saying, hey, you know, I was able to have Abram's kid and you weren't. And there starts to be a lot of friction. And she's driven out of the camp. And as she's out of the camp, she's crying outside of the camp and God comes to her. And he says, you're going to have this child and you're going to call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. However, and this is a big however, he will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will dwell over his kinsmen. You're going to have this child, but there's going to be a lot of friction. You understand that today, modern day Arabs of Muslim belief trace their lineage back to Ishmael. They believe that Ishmael was the child of promise, and that's what they stake. They say that they came from him. How true is that? He will be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him. God has to explain to Abram. He says, that's not the child of promise. You messed up again. My promise still stands, but there are consequences for what you've just done here. Okay, There's going to be a lot of friction here. And so God reiterates uh, His covenant with, with Abraham in chapter 17. And He says, Behold, My covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings will come from you. I will establish My covenant. It will be an everlasting covenant. In other words, I will do what I said I would do. Chapter 21, we finally get to the birth of Isaac, the child of promise, the father of nations. Abraham, when he was born, was 100 years old. So for 25 years, Abraham had this covenant, this promise from God. And for 25 years, it didn't come true. But it was in those 25 years that God was shaping and molding Abraham to actually be the grandfather of the promise, to be the leader of a family that would turn into a nation. It takes, you see, because to do the great things, it takes great strength, it takes great determination, and it takes a dedication. And in those times when we're in the desert, when we're in the famine, 
and God's not doing for us what we think God ought to do. Those are the faith-building moments. That's God using those moments to shape and mold us to do the great things, but it takes us being faithful in the small things. The final test for Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac. I'm sure we've all heard this story. God comes to Abraham and says, okay, you've been wanting for 25 years, you've wanted this. You finally have it. Will you? Will you give it up? And Abraham, without hesitation, said, yes, I'll give it up because I trust you, God. Takes him all the way up on the mountain, ready to plunge the knife, and God says, no, 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 no. I got it. Kill the ram over there. Make your sacrifice to me instead. You see, this is what God's doing in our lives. Your life, my life. He hasn't forgotten about us. Look at how that Abrahamic covenant turned out. as numerous. Abraham, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how numerous your descendants will be. And look at it today. All through the ages, through the pages, and into modern day. Into, into modern day history. Israel becoming a nation in 1948 after not being a nation for almost 2,000 years. God's promise is still coming true to what He told Abraham all the way back in Genesis. Make you a blessing to the whole earth through Jesus, Abraham's descendant. Blessing available to you, me, to the entire world. There are many of us, D.L. Moody, there are many of us willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us who are willing to do the little things. But it's those little things that matter. It matters what your eyes drink in. It matters what your body drinks in. It matters being faithful even in the small things. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather under this tent. Even with distractions, just we still love you and we love what you're doing out here on the GNCC Nation. We invite you to keep doing your work in our lives. Use, use that adversity to shape us and to mold us. Draw us close to yourself and use us to shape the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for hanging out with me. My name's Chuck. If you need anything, I'll be here. Hey, Abram. Is this the same blood that I got last week? Yep.